Can I tell you something? Lee's just in England, right? And he's telling me about this heat wave and he's just told me it's got to be in the high 70s and I've just converted it on Google. Do you know what temperatures they're getting over there? It's probably about 20 degrees. Yeah, 26 degrees. <laughs> That is hilarious. Coming to you from the mountain fortress of pop culture. You're listening to Time to Talk. The number one most impactful artist of our generation. I am Shakespeare in the flesh, Walt Disney. Welcome to our pop culture fortress where the final loyal few remain barricaded in their fight for everything wonderful about popular film, TV and music. You will never bring us down. Pop is not a dirty word. Now... Did you know that Ashton Kutcher's girlfriend was stabbed to death by a serial killer? Or that Shirley Temple and other child actors of her time were forced to sit on blocks of ice if they misbehaved on set? I wish Mother was here. And did you know that Betty White is literally older than sliced bread? If I had a dick, this is where I'd tell you to suck it. Tonight we're looking at pop shockers. We go behind the colourful veil of music, TV and film to expose some of the little-known facts and stories that pop lovers like us don't typically hear about. Lee and Paula are with me here in the fortress. Hello, friends. Good evening. Lee, listen, you and I have done this for a while. Pop culture is, it's usually all glitz, it's all glamour, it's Mm. smoke and mirrors, but behind the scenes, sometimes that's where you find the real juice, right? Mm. Spackle over sandpaper is what they say. Spackle <laughs> over sandpaper. <laughs> mm. I love it. Yeah, that's it. And and Paula, you've dug up some dirt for us tonight too. And Lee, you have, and I have. We're about to about to plow through it. What was it like looking for the dirt? Well, I found it a little bit conflicting. I'd come up with an idea, and then I'd get a better idea, and then I'd get a better one again. So it was like I was like, oh. Oh, yeah, I'll do this. So I actually spent a fair bit of time doing research. So it was, it was, it was basically a lot of fun. Uh, well, I try to stay away from anything that I like because I don't want to be disappointed. So I don't, I don't <laughs> want to find, I don't want to find out that my like favorite favorite members of a band hate each other um, and are only doing it for the money. So I've stayed away from anything that could make me tearful. You didn't want to, you didn't want to take the, the the glean off something you loved. Like you didn't want to find out that behind the scenes of Mrs. Doubtfire there were knife fights. <laughs> Between Robin Williams and the Flying Nun. No, I didn't. That would make me sad. Yeah. That would make me very sad. Yeah. (laughs) Or I'm going to kick us off. Like, there's stuff here that I reckon most people will probably know, but it was news to me, I have to say. Did you, did either of you even know in the first place, this story gets a bit deeper, that Mia Farrow was actually married to Frank Sinatra? Yes, I knew that. But as it turns out, even though they got married and divorced, they remained friends every day. In fact, the, the quote that stands out to me is that every day, Frank, who was very distrustful of most people, there were three people he spoke to every day. Mia was one of them. Okay, so Wow. No, yeah. But so here's mm. the thing, though. When, when she found out that Woody was having an affair with their adopted daughter, Sun Yi, I think it is. Yep. Mm. She, she was, you know, beside herself. 
she actually turned to Frank. She turned to him wow. and, and and he he offered, you know, that listening ear and that compassionate ear. But, Lee, what do you reckon um, Frank might offer above and beyond a bit of compassion and a listening ear? Oh, I don't know. How old was – because I'm thinking she must have been very young when she married him. She and was. He must, and he must have been quite – you know, he must have been not in the first flush of youth, I wouldn't have thought. Um, it's a bit oh, strange. It's always the way, isn't it? Just just like Elvis, Frank, they all married 16, 17-year-olds, didn't oh, they? Oh, I wonder if it was the mm-hmm. whole father figure thing then. I've just Googled it, and he was 30 years older than her. Oh, wow. goodness. Well, it doesn't She was 19. Me, and he was 49 when they married. Wow. Okay, 19 and 49. Mm. Mia goes to, to Frank and is, you know, maybe like the father figure, I suppose you're talking about there, uh, Lee. But uh, he he gives her a cuddle and then and then he goes off and, and gets her a surprise gift. He, ta- he tries to take out a contract to get Woody whacked. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes. So, and this is this is absolutely true. He goes because he has links famously to the mob, mm. and um, there are all kinds of you know documented names in the story. I'm telling you here, which I won't go into, but just generally, he approaches mob bosses, and he's like, first of all, I want him kneecapped. But he goes a step further. No, I'm actually going to. And she testified to that in court, by the way. She took it back and said, no, 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 I was only joking. And that's because her solicitor stood up and went, say no more, Miss Farrow. <laughs> so oh. she shut up. But as it turns out, he got a lot more. He was looking for a lot more than a kneecapping. He actually wanted Woody rubbed out. And he approached the mob bosses, but the mob actually acted with some ethics back then. And they were like, you know, we're not going to set that sort of precedent. You know, if we're going to start knocking people off for going and having affairs, then we're going to lose our reputation. That would be terrible for our for our image. Mm. Yes. I don't know what film it was, but he had had a bit of – he'd thrown a bit of shade, as they say, at Frank Sinatra by um, – in one of his films there was a character – and it was an aging loser musician who was over the peak of his career and pretty pathetic. And apparently ah. that character was based on Frank Sinatra. So I'm sure that would have infuriated old Blue Eyes as well. Wow. Well, I don't have anything as, as um, dramatic as that, but I have I have a little bit of information about um, Kylie's um, amazing Can't Get You Out of My Head, that song that was like number one all around the world. So, was that the gold hot pants one? No, it was the one oh. with the um, on the rooftop in the car. Well, she wasn't on the rooftop in the car, but she was in the car at some point. <laughs> and okay. um, um, I'm like thinking, what videos? So originally, it wasn't supposed to be her song. I always assumed that it was oh. written for her, but it wasn't. It was written by um, an, a, a, an artist called Kathy Dennis, who was a pop singing in her own right but it was offered to lots of different people who turned it down before it was offered to kylie so it was offered to a pop group called s club seven did you ever have those in australia did they make it over i did S yeah so. club. <laughs> you have. yeah something like that yeah. Yeah, so they offered it to them and they didn't want it they also offered it to um sophie ellis baxter who is um a British pop star. Um, Murder on the dance floor. Yes, she didn't want it. So it was played to Kylie. So she was like looking for songs for her album and they played lots of different songs. And she was like, when they played I Can't Get You Out of My Head, she was like, I want it. I want it now. And insisted that within, it was like within 30 minutes, she was recording it. And, And the rest 
is history. Completely I did different not know version that. too, Lee. The the one that the Videmo was um, the one that she toured on the on a night like this tour around mm. Britain and Australia. Uh, that's sort of like the demo ish version. And I remember listening to that uh, in Sydney. And to my shame, I thought not much of it. I thought, yeah, it's all right. But mm. then when they when I heard the produced version, geez, that was that was slick. But yeah, all these people knocked it back. How? How? Although you know, they would probably be beating themselves up. But you know, Kylie um, turned up toxic as well. Turned down. Toxic. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so Rihanna she, turned it down as well, didn't she? A lot of people. It's odd. It, and that I think this is what happens in pop music, doesn't it? You would just assume that that hit song has always been that person's and was written for them. But quite often, it was just it's just generically been written, and they just send it round to lots of different record companies and they go like, mm, nah, I don't really like that, no. Who can we give it to next? You know how Gaga started out as uh, writing songs for other artists? She wrote Telephone and Britney Spears, I'm sure it was Britney, recorded a demo of that. Um, and oh. then it wasn't released or used on an album, so Gaga did it and it's one of her best tracks. Wow, again, I did not know that. It's the same as Lady Gaga's just like she swallowed helium. i'm gonna have to listen to that what have you got for us paula so yesterday there was a fair bit of traffic on the news sites across australia with the passing of john cornell who's played the character strop in the paul hogan show oh yes um now i'm not sure if if you had that in england lee the paul hogan show it was very popular in the 70s and early 80s was it like a sketch show Yes. Like it, yeah, yes. see, we, we did. We did have it, yeah. Yeah, so so Paul uh, Paul Hogan's offsider was, was Strop, who always wore the, the, the surf life-saving um, hat with the, the tags at the side. So he passed away yesterday, age 80, following a 20-year battle with Parkinson's disease. So I found out some interesting stuff about him in that um, not only was his wife, Delvine Delaney, um, they they were married for many, many years and she was by his side when he passed away yesterday. Um, but he also had a lot to do with uh, World Series cricket and actually was very tight with Kerry Packer in um, the whole concept of it. He, mm. he Apparently he took the concept to Kerry Packer and approached the, um, uh, the people who wrote the song, Come On Aussie, Come On. So my interesting fact, though, is that uh, Strauss, John Cornell's wife, Delvine Delaney, who we also know from Sale of the Century. She was Sale the of the Century. Century. She was the second host <laughs> after Victoria Nichols. So Delvine Delaney has a sister. And Delvine Delaney's sister, his name's Cassandra, and she goes by the name Cassie. And Cassie was married to Bob Denver. Not Bob Denver, John Denver. I kept getting oh, that wrong. Really? <laughs> John, <laughs> Bob Denver's Gilligan. John Denver, the singer. Yes. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know an Australian was married to John. He died in the plane crash, didn't he? He did die in the plane crash. And I did a little bit of digging on our mate John. And it, was, it wasn't it was a happy marriage. Um, he'd been told his whole life that he was uh, unable to father children because he was uh, sterile. And then, lo and behold, he marries Cassie Delaney and they have a kid, which is wonderful. Um, but he was uh, – she's published in Women's Weekly – some years ago, a, a bit of a tell-all story. Apparently, he was a, a bad drunk and a bully, and and lots of domestic violence. And um, she divorced him. Well, no, he he just made his mind up that he wanted a divorce one day and said, "No, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Get out." Um, and 
she, they went through a very big custody battle over the child, a little girl called Jessie, and uh, she won full custody but on the proviso that she stayed living in the US and so he had access whenever he wanted to see her. Oh, my goodness. Gee, so there you go. Connections. That's that's crazy. And and he, I think, was well known for like very dark depression as well. As, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so some speculation about the plane crash, I think, being a suicide. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. there's never wow. been proven, obviously. But um, yeah, so uh, that was all very enlightening for me yesterday. And I thought it was nice and contemporary. And I couldn't wait to share it with you. I have to say, like, he was also, it's always the contrast, isn't it? His songs were, some of them were so beautiful and romantic. Oh, and his song. Beautiful. Them, right? Perhaps Love. But yeah, it was like, um, it, it's fascinating. And she, Delvine Delaney, had a little sex pot. She was hot. Yeah, she's still hot. Um, she's she's aged well. Yeah, she's she still looks the same. You know, there's a um a bit, bit of grey in the old hair, but yeah. She's... I think that started when she started working with Tony Barber. Oh, quite likely. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tony, you're a lovely man. I'm just having a little joke at your expense. <laughs> Don't sue me. <laughs> oh, good stuff, Paula. That's really fascinating. I love it. Yeah. Well, and an Australian that. twist on it too. By the way, this is for all the people listening. Do you know, for the longest time we've been doing this podcast, this may be the first time that I've managed to find a fellow Australian to join me. So go the Aussies. Woo! <laughs> come on, Aussie, come on. Come on. That's it. Exactly. So sucked in all the people listening. If you're not getting any of the references, that's your problem. <laughs> Usually I'm the one going, who's that? What's um, what's that boy who's got the um, star struck at the moment? What's his name again? Ollie, Ollie Alexander. Alexander. Yeah. I had to ask. Apparently he's been huge in some band over there in the UK and they just talk about it as if I should know. But this time you should know who Paul Hogan is, you should know who Delvine Delaney is, and you should know who Tony Barber is. I know who Paul Hogan is because he was Crocodile Dundee, but I don't know who the other two are. Yes, he didn't age as well as Delvine Delaney. No, he didn't. And uh, Strop, or John Cornelli, actor who played Strop, uh, actually produced the movie Crocodile Dundee. Oh, yes. Oh. Didn't he marry the actress that played the love interest? But I can't remember what she was called. Linda? Linda Kozlowski. Mm. Ah. Kozlowski, yes. And they opened up the, uh, they they bought the pub in Byron Bay. They did, yes. And they're still married, I think. No. Oh, no. Okay. No. No. It was poor old Nolene. Oh, Nolene. She was a battler, wasn't she? Poor old Nolene. (laughs) No (laughs) Nolene and Paul. Tastes like a smack bum, I've got to say. Oh, stop it. That's so rude. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Nolene, if you're listening. (laughs) Nolene reminded me a lot of the the first reality show ever. Yep, Sylvania Waters. Yeah, don't you reckon (gasps) that they did the same? Well, it's the same name, Nolene Donoher, Nolene Hogan. Oh, my gosh. I loved Sylvanian Waters. I loved that that show. Yes. That was amazing. What was the man's name? She always used to exhale her smoke from a cigarette and go, ah, Barry. (laughs) Was it Barry? Uh, Barry, Barry. She used to, God, it was awful. It was so embarrassing to know overseas people were watching this because it was so close to home, actually. It actually really was quite accurate (laughs) because we'd had neighbours and home and away and they presented this sort of more romantic and fun and light version of who we were. And you get Nolene Donner. (laughs) Which was actually more close to my house than anything else. (laughs) Didn't they live in a huge house on the on the river 
Yes, they were Upper Middle Bergens. Yes, absolutely. Oh, they, okay. Yeah, they, they had some business, so they did well for themselves. They had a nice house. Um, but yeah, the people in it were still typical Aussies. That's for it sure. It was Nolene and Laurie. Laurie, Laurie, that's it. Laurie, Laurie, oh. get out of do it, you, Laurie. Do, would, would, would they be classed as bogans? Is that a word that you use? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Absolutely. They were the original bogans, in my opinion. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Gee, we've had a walk down memory lane here. I can't believe you know about Sylvania Waters. How embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. I'm impressed. No, it was on. It, they were shown on BBC on primetime years ago. It was amazing. Um, it's just oh, come no. back to me now when you mentioned it. I'd completely forgotten all about it. It was 1992, so I was still at high school. Do, what do you think it was the inspiration for Catherine Kim? <laughs> Paula and I were talking last time in, about comparing notes when we were watching Prisoner, right? Mm-hmm. And what was going on in our house when we watched it. And we had exactly the same. A lot of Australian 70s, 80s kids had exactly the same upbringing. We just did. And the same haircut. Yes, we did. (laughs) And it was all bad. It was all bad. (laughs) We were drinking coddies, straight coddies, right? It was meant to be watered down, but no, it was like you just put just a a thumb drop of water into it and you go, yeah, I've made a cordial now. Uh, I used to walk around with asthma attacks the whole day. Um, Have (laughs) either of you heard about the bare skin rug affair? No. No. Basically, there was a raid on this house where there was, uh, for me, it would be called a party. For these guys, it would be called morning tea, probably. (laughs) June 29, 1967, they've been arrested and uh, they're in court. Keith Richards, he's actually, he's jailed for drug offences, right? And he's in court. It's fascinating because, I mean, look, Rolling Stones arrested for drugs. That was a little bit interesting to me. I didn't know he'd been in jail. But the actual fun part of the story was that when they did the raid, there was a young woman came screaming out of the house, completely naked, except she was wearing a, like a full bearskin rug. Oh. <laughs> like, oh. People live such different lives to me. I've never mm-hmm. been in a situation even vaguely remotely near that happening. But nonetheless, she ran out. And, of course, the media loved that. Like, you forget the drugs, forget the the woman running naked with the bearskin rug. That's the fun part of the story for the media and for me, I must say. That's the most delicious part. And it was Marianne Faithful who was actually. Oh. You know, oh. Mm. But then it was it became this, obviously, it's just a, a bit of a fun tabloid story. But when he got into court, uh, the Queen's counsel was, you know, interrogating um, Keith Richards. He, he tried to imply that Faithful's nudity was probably the result of a loss of inhibition due to using cannabis. So they were really trying to link this woman running out naked to, I mean, to drug use. And so this is the quote. You regard that as quite normal, do you, Mr. Richards? And he replies, we're not old men. We're not worried about petty morals. And with that one line, Richards emphatically established himself, if he wasn't already, as the spokesman for a generation who just didn't share the same values as the British establishment of the time. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's clearly not done him any harm because he's still around. I mean, he looks like an Egyptian mummy now, but he's still still with us. (laughs) And by all accounts, he's still, like, living his best life too. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's pretty cool. 
Hey, Mick Jagger's just a big pair of lips. He he was charged. <laughs> Isn't that your logo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, you don't know how many people bring that up as if it's something sexual. It's to be someone talking, but everyone thinks our logo is something more than that. <laughs> Wasn't there a rumour that he smoked his father's ashes? Um, oh. <laughs> Yes, there was. Yeah, wasn't so there? Rumor, sure. not, not a rumor. I don't think it was true, but there was a rumor for a long time. Hey, Meg, if you're listening, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. But mind. wait till you've passed away first. Don't try it before. <laughs> what are you down there with a straw for? Stop it! Yeah. Oh my goodness. What else have you got for us, Lee? Um, oh, let me think. I've got some 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 film sort of in that we might not be aware of so were you a fan of jurassic park the original jurassic 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 yes. park okay. fun, fun. yeah brilliant film and um so they the in films they create the noises for things using all sorts of different things they have like sound stages um but i was reading that you know the raptors the ones the kind of one the really evil ones that ate everybody um i love them they were great weren't they um they the the noise that they used to create their sound was i'm um, sorry to interrupt lee please can i guess please can i guess was it danny minogue recording love and kissing (laughs) do you know it might have i think she was more like a diplodocus i think they used it for that Do you know, we there's so much hatred not hatred for Danny on this podcast. We we we, we you know, if she ever listens to it, there is no chance of her coming on the show, is there? She's just no, no, not doing to blow my chances of an interview with Danny. Danny, I yeah, do love so, you. I've said nice things about her too. Yeah, so no, it wasn't it wasn't that. It was the sound of tortoises making love. Oh that no. they used. Oh my goodness. Who would think to go and record a couple of tortoises doing a wild thing? I didn't even wow. know tortoises made a noise. I thought they were mute, but apparently no. They make they, they <laughs> make noises like I'm not going to do it. But I, I went Come and on, looked please on. Try, <laughs> please try. I'll go on, please. <laughs> they kind of go <laughs> like that. So <laughs> don't do like my wedding night. <laughs> so um, they kind of put it through computers and stuff, and you know, added they added horses breathing and geese hissing <laughs> as well to to create the sound of a raptor. Um, but from now, if I ever if I ever watch that film again, all I'm going to be thinking of is tortoises at it when they come on. You know, um, the Tyrannosaurus in it? You know, the really, really evil big one. That was Nolene Hogan reading her divorce settlement. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, yes. (laughs) Oh, that's very cool. I'm never going to watch that film the same way again. Sometimes amateurs know best, and a lack of professionalism is all you'll hear on the Time to Talk show. Join Tim and his panel of guests as they wade their way through a range of news, music, and pop culture treats. Time to Talk, the show hosted by amateurs for unprofessional listeners. Amateurs, is this the best that they could do? Paula, what have you got for us? Okay, so... um... I was talking to a good friend of mine, Marty, who I've got to give him a plug because he's actually given me this idea. Hey, Marty. Um, one of – hey, Marty. Um, 
Growing up, a favourite show coming home from school in the afternoons was Get yes. Smart. Yeah, so Don Adams was the um, obviously played uh, Maxwell Smart, um, and I found out that he actually had a one third ownership of the show. So after it had wound up and there was reruns and stuff, he was getting money for years and years and years. Anyway, so um, Don Adams has a cousin whose name is Robert Cavallis, and they're, they're, they're really great mates. So growing up, they did they did a lot together. Anyway, um, one day uh, Don said to his cousin Robert. I, th- I think you need to stick around in LA, mate, because I'm starting this new sitcom called Get Smart, and and I reckon I can find you some work. So um, he did find his cousin a bit of work. He did a couple of bit parts. He played a chaos agent, um, and then what I found out, uh, thanks to Marty, was that Don Adams' cousin ends up playing the role of Larrabee oh. in the show. Now, uh, did, did either of you watch the show? I don't recall it. What was it about? Okay, so basically Maxwell Smart. Uh, is the is a bumbling um, uh, secret agent working for a government agency called Control, and their enemy is uh, Chaos. So basically, Chaos's job is to create chaos, but it's spelled with a K. So the other thing that was notable about the character Larrabee, who was Don Adams, the actor's cousin and good mate, is that he was the only character in the show who was dumber than oh, Maxwell dear. Smart. And going from a fun fact, Paula, to something not so fun, I, I couldn't believe this one. Um, uh, Ashton Kutcher, he had a girlfriend, Ashley Ellerin, um, and he went to her house to pick her up. They were going out together and uh, he was offended because he thought he'd been stood up and you're knocking on the door and all of that sort of stuff and he just thought, okay, I've been stood up, literally. Uh, he looked through a window and <clears throat> he described seeing red wine spilt all over the floor as it turned oh. out that was Ooh. no it wasn't, it wasn't red, red wine. wine and yeah ashley had been murdered <clears throat> stabbed repeatedly by she had 47 stab wounds and it turned out to be a serial killer well known uh, michael gargulio uh, gargulo i think his name is but he was better known as the boy next door killer or chiller killer or the Hollywood Ripper. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Awful. And um, he's just been sentenced to death uh, in very, very recently. But yeah, wow. that's not yeah. good. Pick us back up, Lee. Oh. Do you want do you want a story about the Wizard of Oz or a story about E.T.? Let's go down a Wizard of Oz rabbit hole and I'll help you out if that's all right, because I've got about okay. sixty here. So did you know that in in the scenes where um it was snowing. They used asbestos as as snowflakes because oh. apparently in in the United States and Europe at the time, everybody used these kind of asbestos flakes to create fake snow. So that kind of scene where the, the snow is coming down is asbestos. On the Wizard of Oz, I mean that's shocking to be. Anyway, look, lots of those weird things happened in industries back then when we didn't know better, I suppose. But Shirley Temple was originally slated to play Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. Oh, because oh. well, she was the wasn't... massive popular star, wasn't she at the time? Absolutely. And the dog who played Toto in the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I like this one. It's I shouldn't. He 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 earned more than any of the Munchkins. You're kidding. Oh. <laughs> what a shame <laughs> oh, <laughs> no it is isn't it it's kind of like thing oh what well it's munchkin discrimination 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they had a very good time on the set of Wizard of Oz, the Munchkins. I don't I've think they were treated very nicely. Wow. I think I'm surprised anybody made it out of that film alive. Because didn't they use like lead paint to paint the man that was the tin man? And wasn't there something <laughs> toxic in the green paint that they painted the witch with? I don't think anybody was safe in that film. It was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was a poisonous set. Oh, dear. <laughs> Paula, have you got another one? One thing, I, I know that uh, you're both quite a fan of the Golden Girls. The The theme song, Thank You For Being A Friend, that's one of my favourite songs. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. But it was not the original choice for the theme song. Oh, dear. The the original theme song that was slated was Bette Midler's Friends. Yes, I did hear oh. that, actually, yeah. Yeah, but apparently the licensing fee to, to use it was going to be so extreme that they went with little-known singer Andrew Gold's song, Thank You For Being A Friend, which, yeah, as I said, it's, it's just an amazing song. I love it's it. It's a great song. But it would have been nice. I'm still glad that there is a Bette Midler link to the Golden Girls somewhere. Yes. That makes sense to me. Yes, that is nice. I've got some yeah. little little smaller nuggets as well. The movie Titanic costs more money to film than the actual ship cost to build. Wow. Do you remember the scene in Pretty Woman where the, the necklace case snaps? Yes. Julie yes. Fingers? All improvised. That natural yes, I knew reaction that. is 100% oh. what she did in the time. <clears throat> That's why it's so, and it's such a famous laugh, isn't it? And yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. scene. And in The Exorcist, you can go and look up the stills if you're that way inclined. There's a man called Paul Bateson. He played uh, a radiologist's assistant in The Exorcist. He's actually on film. You can see him. And it turns out he was actually a convicted murderer who had dismembered and killed gay men in the late 70s. I had read that somewhere, yes, and I've seen the, the – wow. yeah. Wow. Why yeah. do they always have a name like that, a serial killer? Paul Bateson. <laughs> like he was born to be a serial killer. <laughs> it's like if you named your child Jeeves. I mean, they're going to be a limousine driver, aren't they? Or a butler. Or a butler. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It hasn't really worked for Madonna, though, has it? She she hasn't gone down that route of her name. She's gone completely (laughs) the opposite direction. She she has. (laughs) She reinvented it. Yes, that's true, as she tends to do. Lee, you're going to tell us about some more film trivia. I am, yeah. E.T., one of my all-time favourite films that I can watch over and over again. But originally, it was supposed to, it was going to be a very, very different film. So, originally, Steven Spielberg was going to produce um, a filmmaker called John Sayles's script called Night Skies, which was about a rural family invaded by aliens that could kill with a touch of their finger. Um, So E.T. was originally going to be an evil killer with a killer finger. Um, But then he... (laughs) <laughs> then he decided that he wasn't he was going to go down a more family friendly route and did ET but um he then the idea that he kind of had he kept and then made poltergeist out of it i'm not quite sure how he made poltergeist out of it because i don't think there's any killer aliens with fingers in that one but um <laughs> <laughs> on press, I missed that. But yeah, and that and that I was like, oh, wow. Can you imagine, it- Lee? So Steven Spielberg, you know, he's sitting there in you know a fancy leather chair with his cigar and his spectacles and a little lamp, and he's reading the script for ET. And people are killing each other, and the family's been massacred, and Drew Barrymore's lying dead on the floor. <laughs> oh, she was so cute in that movie. <laughs> puts it down. He stubs out his cigar, and he goes, "I'm going to ask for a rewrite." <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm <laughs> not feeling that's exactly it. Exactly how it played out. Do you know? Here's another fun fact: that ET, the actual uh, what it ended up looking like, was based on my grandmother. <laughs> is that so really well that's what our family says anyway we we you know we assume that they got hold of one of the photos and um yeah there you go we've got this australian woman and we think she'd make a great alien <laughs> or sophia from the golden girls possibly. <laughs> well when she has the when he has the wig on at some point when he's dressed him up for halloween there is a bit of a golden girls vibe about him do you not think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can. Uh, yes, there is. I can see that. <laughs> and talking about the Golden Girls, Betty White is literally older than sliced bread. Oh, isn't that wonderful? She turned all potty mouth, though. I think to get the laughs these days, she has to go yeah, on late true. night talk show and and oh, just. But use there's no, there's nothing funnier than a really really old lady saying really rude words. If I had a dick, this is where I'd tell you to suck it. I was about to say, it's like, it's akin to hearing little children swearing. That is always funny. But old people swearing is also, especially Betty White, because she's like an icon. Yeah. But, yeah, I love that. I love the fact that she has got yeah, a possibility. She's, yeah. yeah, she's 97 years old as we speak today. She was born in 1970. Wow. I thought she was older. Yeah, okay. So the first time a pre-sliced loaf of bread was sold <laughs> was over six years later in 1928 <laughs> oh my goodness so what that do you reckon Lee? Should we be, you know when people say it's the best thing since sliced bread should we change that update it's the best, best thing, thing since, since Betty White it's definitely yeah <laughs> yes yeah. I'm gonna do that <laughs> okay were both of you fans of the film The Bodyguard uh, I would yes. say a fan but I've, I've seen it and it's a good movie I had a feeling Lee would go, yes. But <laughs> yes. Probably more the soundtrack than the film. It's a great soundtrack. Okay. Obviously propelled Whitney Houston to fame. But but get this. They were going to make a sequel. And this is not just speculation. This is the real deal. They were in talks with Princess Diana to play the lead female role in Bodyguard. Yes. No way. I heard that. Yes. It's a real thing. Costner himself has confirmed it. He said that um, he was explaining the plot would have involved the character protecting Diana from stalkers, the paparazzi, before their relationship eventually turned romantic, as it does, because you know, that's what females tend to do. They need to fall in love with the masculine, you know, the man yeah. who knows all. Um, he, he said a first script for the project arrived on his desk the very day before Diana died in her car crash oh, on the 1st of oh, August 97. Wow. Mm. But I don't think that should have ever been made if she's if if the what happened hadn't happened. That was exactly. I nearly I nearly said something really inappropriate then and I edited myself in my head. I nearly said that would have been a car crash and I stopped myself. Oh, um, Lee. Oh, um but no they should it should never have happened. That couldn't that wouldn't have been good, would it? No. No. Well, who knows? She might. I mean, look, she loved. She was very theatrical. She loved. It. Remember that time she went out and did Uptown Girl on stage? Yes, really. And Charles hated stuff. that. Oh, he did. did. Yeah, and she made. Mm. You know, she she. I don't know if she danced with John Travolta. She did. Yes, absolutely. She was very elegant. But oh, she was beautiful. Costner recalled that he and Diana had discussed the film in some detail, and this is the quote from him. I just remember her being incredibly sweet on the phone, and she asked the question, are we going to – oh, hang on. <coughs> are, are we going to have 
have a, a kissing scene. And Costner <laughs> said, she said it in a very respectful, nervous way because of the way her life was governed. And I said, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of that. But we can make that okay. I would have liked to have seen like Whitney coming in at a certain point and going, he's mine, and then having like a massive fight, like yes. a dynasty-style fight in a, in, a, in a fountain and everything, yeah. Fake this uppity white woman in my house for? <laughs> I don't care if she's royal. I, I'm the queen of the night. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Hey, Lee, my favourite part, if you think that's fascinating... Here's the best, most delicious tidbit of this story. Guess who was behind it all? All of it. Was it Betty White? <laughs> <laughs> it was Sarah Ferguson. Fergie. Oh. Who else would and... it be, right? Who else oh, would it dear. be? So on that note, has this been fun? Oh, so much. Fun and oh. horrific at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yes, a little bit of darkness and a little bit of light. It's all good. Fun and horrific at the same time. That sounds like chewing the cud, Lee. Tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, that is that is the the, the the TV show that I I co-present over in the UK, which is is laden oh. with smut and um, innuendo um, and filth. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I urge everybody to go check it <laughs> go check it out. We don't we haven't had any tortoises mating on it yet, but that could possibly be something. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, not yet. Planet but, Where can people see it? They can see it if they type the cud.tv into their preferred search engine thing. I'm not very technical. It should come up. I've just found it. And Paula, it's been a pleasure having you on the show too. Thank I know that this so is all much. new to you, but you are a pop culture fiend. I I do love it, I have to say. And this has been so much fun. Paula is a lady, Lee, who has watched uh, Prisoner, Cell Block H, um, the whole thing remembering that there's more than 600 episodes about a dozen times. Yeah. Wow. 692 and, to be precise. And she's only 19 years old, so I don't know how she's <laughs> I know. That hey, is dedication. I was very impressed with myself when we were talking last week, Tim, and I was trying to remember which episode Joan Ferguson entered the series. And I was like, oh, it's about 287, I think, but don't quote me. Well, it was actually 284. I was three episodes oh, off. Oh, wow. And that was that, just off the top of my head. That is disturbing levels of knowledge right there. <laughs> oh. I know, I was a little bit disturbed myself, but then, but then I was, like, proud as well. <laughs> uh, well, say hello to your sister, Cairo, for us. And if people Certainly want to hear will. more of Paula, uh, if people want to hear more of Paula, they can listen to our podcast about prisoners. So Block H, which we have recently uploaded. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Paula. Thank you both. I've had a ball. You may leave totally the fortress. welcome. <laughs> <laughs>